We've got some juice in the NBA Finals as the Heat's big fourth quarter last night draws even as the scene moves to South Beach later in the week. Is Miami a live dog to win it all as they have the home court? As for their hockey counterparts up the Florida Turnpike, are there concerns after losing Game 1 in Vegas with Game 2 tonight? The Yankees get out of L.A. with two wins against the Dodgers. The Mets get swept and face a familiar opponent in a not-so-friendly place. And there hasn't been much drama as Week 2 commences at the French Open, but the stars are starting to align for an epic clash. Glad you stopped by to listen to all the above and then some. It's all coming up, but first, this message. J Reels here, just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the J Reels Podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there. Whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review. I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Wills Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? I hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits, ready to kick off another week of Sports Chatter for you, the casual, rabid, or diehard fans that you guys and gals are, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard, and for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even... As early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back. And before I begin, a happy 58th birthday in heaven to one of my all-time favorite athletes, former Detroit Red Wing, later with the Chicago Blackhawks, Bob Probert. And if you didn't watch him throughout the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, patrol the ice the way he did, arguably the greatest tough guy, in my opinion, he is number one on all lists when it comes to fighters, pugilists, tough guys in the sport. And unfortunately, he is no longer with us, as I mentioned, with his birthday being in heaven. But I had to acknowledge June 5th, 1965, he was born. And wherever he may be, may he rest in peace. As we get to the sports, quite a bit to dissect here, especially with the finals. And that's going to be the bulk of the opening here. When we look at what happened last night and these first two games already concluded with the NBA finals, I'll get to the... Stanley Cup Finals next where the Florida Panthers, and you have to wonder whether or not they pay close attention to what their basketball counterparts did yesterday and hoping that they could do the same tonight in Vegas to come away with a split back to South Florida. And with the Heat last night, you got to give it up to what they did. They continue to show their toughness, their grit, and even their come-from-behind capability, which is what we saw in the previous series against the Celtics, and we could fault all we want about how the defense did not connect in big spots, especially for the Nuggets there in the fourth quarter. We could talk about how the Heat were able to persevere and had contributions from everyone throughout the course of the lineup. And now here we are with a series deadlocked at one and quite a bit to dissect from last night's game. Now, game one, not really much to write home about. It was another triple-double for Nikola Jokic. Aaron Gordon played well. Miami didn't attack the basket as evidenced by the two trips to the free throw line, which is a record low for an NBA's final. Max Drews was 0 for 10 and 0 for 9 from 3. Caleb Martin, 1 for 7 and came back down to earth big time from the Celtics series. He made 1-3 late in yesterday's game, so he only has a total of two. Count them, two field goal attempts made and you didn't have to worry about not having his full input because as I'll get to the rest of the team there for game two, but... 
Jimmy Butler did not play well in game one. Even Butler said that we have to attack a little bit more as opposed to settling for jumpers. And Bam Adebayo, who was going to be a huge factor in the series, knowing that he was going to go up against Nikola Jokic, played very well, scoring 24 points in that game one. But with the Heat trying to make that comeback, they were down by 21 heading into the fourth quarter. They did have an 11-0 run. They cut it to 10 at the time. And then as close as 9, I believe, maybe even 8, in that fourth quarter, but they ran out of gas. They didn't have enough to get over the hump or at least to get closer as they lose game one, 104-93. And going into yesterday's game, it was imperative for them to win. There was no way that they could go down into an 0-2 hole to bring it back to Miami and think that they could beat Denver four out of the next five to capture an NBA title. And yesterday, the Heat got out of the gate rather quick. Max Strews, who erased that nightmare of a game one, had 12 points, including 4 for 7 from the field. I believe he was, what, 4 for 5 from 3 to start the game. And even with the Nuggets coming back there late in the first quarter, even into the second quarter to where they had an 11-point lead, and then you thought to yourself, this is where the Nuggets may take off. This is where Miami, not to say that they were going to fold, but now you know that in their building and with the way that the Nuggets have been playing at home throughout the course of the postseason, maybe this was going to be a tall task for Miami to get themselves closer to halftime, even into the second half. And as it was, the third quarter was a bit of a slog. The officiating was spotty, to say the least. You had some calls that were missed, whether it was Jimmy Butler stepping out of bounds before Gabe Vincent hit a three. You also had that out-of-bounds deflection where Jokic looked like the ball didn't hit off of his hands, but it was still Miami Heat ball. Then you had the other goal 10 later on with Jamal Murray, which that should have been called, and that was in the fourth quarter. You also had the situation where Nikola Jokic shot a three where Bam fouled him, quote-unquote, and it was a phantom call where Jokic shot three free throws, and you had a lot of that last night. A lot of three-point attempts which were called for fouls, whether they were four-point plays, whether they were three-shot fouls, and a lot of that could be attributed to just some sloppy defense, but the officiating was very spotty in that third quarter and even down the stretch of the game there last night. But for the Heat going into that fourth quarter, down by eight, and Duncan Robinson gave him a lift with 10 points right out of the bat in the first couple of minutes there to start the fourth quarter, and then they just continued to pile it on. Whether it was Jimmy Butler making some big threes there, whether it was Gabe Vincent, who all of a sudden, as I've said in the previous series and I've been saying throughout the course of this postseason, He is Steph Curry light. The guy hits from anywhere and everywhere, even showing up, I believe it was what, Christian Braun, as he tried to defend him and he gave him that look. All right, pipe down, Gabe Vincent. I understand that you've been very good throughout this postseason and showed that you belong in the league, but to give the little smirk, uh, listen, you can spare us with that. But you had the Heat then come all the way back and then just steamroll throughout the course of the midway point of the fourth quarter. And then the Nuggets went on a run where Jamal Murray hit a couple of threes and he did not have a good game. But he did make it interesting there late. He cut it to three. And then even on that last possession when Jimmy Butler missed a shot and they had a timeout in their pocket and you figure that the coach, Mike Malone, would have called a timeout there to set up a play and granted that Murray had a little bit of a heat check moment as he made those couple of threes as I mentioned. But just to push the ball up, and we've seen this a lot here throughout the course of the playoffs, whether it's Joe Mazzulla doing this, whether it's a bunch of coaches that have been just electing to go ahead and push the ball up to see if they can get that last shot, where I thought after the comeback that they had there, and the Heat had, what, a 12-point lead with about five minutes to go, and knowing that there was just a three-point attempt from tying the game, and granted that Jamal Murray did have some separation on that final shot, but it was a bad shot, very low percentage, as he tried to elude the defender off the top of my head. It may have been Bam Adebayo that was on him. But for Murray to try to play hero ball there. As he took a couple of steps back. Pretty much fading away. To get a three off. And he was unsuccessful. And the Heat go off into Denver into the night. And back to South Beach. With a 111-108 win to tie the series. And it just goes to show you that this team. You could try to cut the head off. And it's not just the one player. It's the whole team. And even though you didn't get contributions from Caleb Martin, and I know Kyle Lowry gave you a little bit here and there, but it's the other guys that have stepped up. Whether it was Max Drews in the first half, 
Duncan Robinson in the second half, in particular in the fourth quarter. You know, Jimmy Butler made some big threes, and we know he's not a three-point shooter, to say the least. And think about this. The Heat were 17 for 35 from three. And I didn't talk about this throughout the course of the playoffs, and in particular the previous series against Boston. But did you know that the Miami Heat were the worst three-point shooting team in the league in the regular season? And here they are shooting as if they belong in the top three, let alone in the bottom three or worse overall throughout the course of 82 games. And here they are. Just a tremendous job by them for them to come back in that building where the Nuggets, as I mentioned earlier, have not lost. And here they are. They got their first L. And Mike Malone ripped his defense talking about it being non-existent. And they were bad down the stretch. And I understand maybe they don't have the full respect of Gabe Vincent and some of these other guys that have been able to be clutch and make big shots and not be afraid of the moment. But the Heat, they do not seem to go away. No matter how many shots they take, no matter how many shots you throw at them, they always seem to be hanging around or they prevail the way they did last night. And the funny thing about this Heat team that even though in game one when they were down 21 and you would think that the game would be a blowout, It's weird. You can't blow out this team. If we look back throughout the playoffs, maybe there was a couple of games, and I should have done my homework here, so hand raised high in the air, but they do not, by any circumstances, look at a deficit as insurmountable. Now, a game I think off the top of my head, 110-97 Celtics in Game 5 in Boston, and that game wasn't as close as the score indicated, but... For whatever the reason, this Heat team, who is by far not even an offensive juggernaut in comparison to some of the other teams in the sport, but for whatever the reason, the pieces, the Heat culture, they all fit together, and I can't even explain it. How they continue to keep themselves in games, how they continue to just fight through whatever adversity it may be, whatever deficit, and now they go back to Miami, tied at one. And when I look at the... Nuggets last night in particular. Now, Jokic had a big game of 41 points, but here's the big number. And he had his rebounds. What do you have, 13? The big number was four assists. Now, you could attribute that to Eric Spolster, the coach of the Heat, and their staff for trying to make Nikola Jokic beat them just from shooting the ball as opposed to distributing and being that facilitator that he is. And when the assist total is low for one Nikola Jokic, that means you have a good shot to win. And that's what happened last night. Now, Jamal Murray did not play well despite the heroics there late to try to win the game and making those two threes. Michael Porter Jr. continues to be an enigma. For a guy his height and his length, he shoots way too many threes. And I get it, this is the world we live in when it comes to the NBA, but that guy should be attacking the basket. That guy should be posting up other players. As we know, the Heat are not a big team. Other than Adebayo, are you going to tell me Cody Zeller? Seriously? Porter should be a guy that should be posting everybody up And not only that, having that little turnaround jumper, slashing and attacking the basket, all right, you want to shoot your threes, no problem. But he's just so reliant on the three that he could be so much better than he is. I'm sure he'll have his moments and maybe heard from throughout the series, but he's a guy that just makes you scratch your head. And the Nuggets, with their defensive performance last night, and not to say they're going into, by any means, a hornet's nest come Wednesday night and Friday as well, down in Miami, but that city... And the crowd, whatever the 1,500 diehard Heat fans are, they know this setting. And they are familiar with what titles and not only that, but finals games are in that building. And they're going to show up and show out. And not to say that they're going to be the 12th man or the 6th man or whatever you want to call it as far as just being there to back their team. But Denver, it's going to be interesting as we've talked about throughout this postseason. That statement game in Phoenix, when they were able to win in the game 6 by 25 the two games in LA, although they were both close, but they were able to handle the Lakers the way they did, and now I would think they'll win one of the next two to bring this series back to Denver. I would be shocked if they lose these next two, but for Denver, they have some questions that need to be answered, not only as far as their defense but also the way the Heat were able to not necessarily contain Nikola Jokic, but of course him not being the guy that is going to be your point center, that is going to get his other teammates involved, the way we've seen Jokic throughout this playoff, and including game one. And that is going to be a storyline heading into game three on whether or not the Heat can continue to neutralize Jokic the way they did in game two.
And now the Heat, the question is, can this team win a title? Now, of course, we could say yes, because they're tied at one and they are a live dog here. But even if this series were to go back to Denver, tied at two, the Heat can win a game five. Now, I'd be a little bit surprised to think that even with the two games in Miami and for the Nuggets to lose two games in a row at home, that may be a little bit of a stretch. But the Heat have a good shot. But I would think that if you're the Miami Heat, and we know the whole scenario when it comes to the underdogs, you want to win the odd number games. And in this case, they flip-flopped. They lost game one, but won game two. Now, even with them having home court, if they were to lose a game number three and win a game four, they must win game five. That's all there is to it. Now, to think between now and when we reconvene on Thursday, there's only going to be the one game Wednesday. So I'll have the one game to recap before heading into the weekend where you'll have their game on Friday night. And we'll talk about that next Monday. So we won't even get to game five by the time we reconnect a week from today. But I think this series is going to at least go six. I said the Nuggets in six as it is. And it could possibly go seven. But that's going to be contingent on Miami winning that game five in Denver. I don't think they're going to win these two in Miami. I think there could be a split. In fact, I could see Denver winning two in Miami more than I could see Miami winning these two at home. But that's why they play the games. And you know I'll be on top of it come Wednesday night and have it for you on a fresh silver platter come Thursday when the next podcast will come your way. And that's pretty much what you have here. And give it up, Bam Adebayo has played very well in these first two games. Even last night, made some big buckets, had some... Big free throws that he had to make, which was very clutch on his part. And in order for the Heat to win this thing, now of course it's going to take pretty much every guy that's going to be inserted into the lineup by Eric Spolstra and give it up by him starting Kevin Love. And Love also made a contribution there. And that's the thing about Spolstra. I understand he gets his flowers and a lot of people will throw bouquets at his feet because of what he's done. And this has been nothing short of masterful with how he's been able to use his lineups, deploy his defense, and make the necessary adjustments when he absolutely has to. And here they are, just three games away from winning another NBA title, which would be remarkable to say the least, as we all know, as an eight seed, and him to get to this point where he went to an NBA Finals there in the bubble a few years ago. And this is a decade removed, or just about, from the heatles of LeBron, D-Wade, Chris Bosh, where they went to four straight titles and won two. And this would be nothing short of extraordinary if he's able to pull this out. Now, they still have plenty of series left to go, potentially five more games, and they do have the home court. So if they take care of business down at whatever that arena is, now FTX, I know it's formerly FTX, Kaseya Center, whatever it may be, if they do that, then they're going to hoist the trophy. But I know the Nuggets will be heard from and they're going to have to sit on this for a couple of days and it's going to be telling to see how they're going to come out here in a game number three considering their defense faulted them as the Heat outscored them 36-25 there in that final quarter to get this series back to Miami one more time tied at one apiece. Now you had a ton of coaching news here over the last few days and last week on Thursday morning I believe it was and I didn't talk about this on the podcast, but for the Pistons to sign Monty Williams to a record six-year, $78.5 million deal, I didn't realize that he was Phil Jackson. And that's not to knock Monty Williams. I like him as a guy. I like him as a coach. Drafted by the Knicks, played in Orlando, was in the league for many years, had a, I believe, heart condition where he was unable to play for some significant amount of time. And then we know about the tragedy in his life with his wife and, I believe, other family members that perished in a car accident. And he's had to overcome a lot. And did a very good job there in Phoenix, although they didn't get the title back in 2021, as we know. And then the last two years have been a disaster in closeout games, as we've seen at home against Dallas, and then this year against Denver. And I thought maybe a raw deal is a little bit strong, but with Matt Ishbia, the new owner, flexing those new owner muscles and trying to make a statement, which... I thought maybe he could have at least been given one more year. And I know that they brought in Kevin Durant and made a big stink about him going to the finals. And with him being hurt, Durant 
with that eight-game stretch where during the layup line, he turned an ankle. I thought maybe bring him back for one more year, a full training camp. Let's see what he does. If he falls short of a championship, then you want to get rid of him. That's fine. But now the Pistons decided, all right, we'll back up the Brinks truck and give him $78.5 million, the richest deal for a head coach in the history of the sport. And congratulations. One more time. I am not hating. I'm not knocking Monty Williams. If anything, this falls on the Piston ownership thinking that Monty Williams was a guy that all of a sudden is going to win them three, four, five championships when it's all said and done. And we know they have a young roster. We know it's going to take some time. They're going to have the fifth overall pick and they had the worst record in the sport. So imagine if it was a scenario where Victor Wimbanyama was going to be the guy coming to, to Detroit with Kate Cunningham and Jaden Ivey and Jalen Duran. That would have been just bananas for the Piston fan and for their organization. But let's see what Monty Williams does as he now has all the money and you wonder whether or not other coaches who are going to be signed that may not have the resume that Monty Williams has is going to ask for the sun, moon, stars and the entire galaxy. And then you have Frank Vogel the former Laker coach who won that title in the bubble against the Miami Heat, signed a five-year deal with Phoenix. The terms were not disclosed. Vogel, we know he's been around for a long time, dating to his days back in Indiana. And yes, we could talk about that bubble title and it's not legit, so on and so forth, but it is legit considering that they were confined for what? Three months and I have to go through the rigors mentally, spiritually, emotionally of having to literally be in that bubble where you couldn't be a part of the outside world, you couldn't have friends, you had just limited family, etc. So I'll give it up. And the Lakers were very good that year, as we know. But Vogel, is he going to be the guy that's going to move the needle as far as a coaching hire? No. And especially in Phoenix, where they've never won a title and came close a couple years ago, as I mentioned. I don't think so. But he has the experience. He has won a title. And let's see if he could jumpstart that team come next year to see whether or not if Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and even Chris Paul, for that matter, could rally the troops one last time to see if they can make a push and a run at an NBA title. And then the Sixers hired Nick Nurse, the former Toronto Raptor coach. Let's see how that goes as Nurse tries to rehabilitate a last couple of years in Toronto with good talent, not great talent. He didn't have the great player as he did for the one year with Kawhi Leonard and the Wiley vetted as he had in a one Kyle Lowry, who, as we all know, is in Miami. But... Nurse, is he an upgrade over Doc Rivers? That remains to be seen, although Rivers has definitely fallen on hard times since his days at the Clippers and not being able to get past a conference semifinal. But Nurse, let's see how he does in Philly. As we all know, the process continues to go there and they have some big offseason decisions, especially with James Harden. And then the Celtics, they'll keep Joe Mazzulla. And no surprise, even though maybe there could have been a faction of Celtic fans that think that even with them coming back from an 0-3 deficit to push that conference final to a Game 7, that maybe he would be released. But Brad Stevens, the VP of Basketball Ops, said that it was a learning experience. They have all the confidence in a one Joe Mazzulla and that their priority this offseason is to keep Jalen Brown. And that will save for another time. I know I talked about that a little bit there on Thursday's podcast, but... That we will discuss once the NBA rumor mill comes July 1st at the end of the month or beginning of next month where we'll see what the Celtics will do when it comes to their second banana on the roster. That's what you have with the NBA. Now as I turn my attention to what's happening on the ice as I lace up my skates and talk a little Stanley Cup final, one game in the books, you have a game two tonight and as I mentioned earlier, you wonder if the Panthers are now hoping to follow the lead of the Miami Heat as they bring their series back to South Florida tied at one, and you know that that's what they're going to, that's the goal. That's what they're going to try to attain tonight out in Vegas, and they're going to need it because if they go down 0-2, I don't think they're going to come out of the series alive. And I'll get to their concerns in a minute. Game one, we look at some of the big bullet points of the game. I thought that Florida played very well. We understand the third period fell apart for them. I know that big save there early in the second period with Aiden Hill, and who knows, that could have been... I'm not going to say a game changer because that was early second period. But sometimes when you have a save like that and a great opportunity to take the lead there on the road, who knows what the complexion of the game would turn out. As it was, 
the Golden Knights took a 2-1 lead before Anthony Duclair got that late goal in the second period. And as I've said time after time, sometimes those late goals in the period are good momentum changes or momentum shifts for the team going into the third period. And as it was, and especially not in this game, that wasn't the case. But you always like those goals late because you feel that you have at least a little bit of wind in your sails. They could go into that final period and let's see if they could come out and steal a victory. But they did not do that as the Golden Knights got three goals in the third period. And they were went going away with a 5-2 win. They got an empty net of their late. And Sergei Bobrovsky, who as I talked about in the preview there on Thursday, he's going to be critical and we understand the goaltender plays a key part in winning a Stanley Cup. But Bobrovsky, not to say he had a bad game. He actually made some great stops there in the first couple of periods. And then the assault by the Golden Knights were just too much for them to overcome. And now the concerns for Florida. With the big layoff, and they played well. I can't say or sit here and think that they didn't deserve to be in the game. Or they were just dominated throughout. But now you have to look at it as they got punched in the mouth. That magic carpet ride that they got from game five of the Bruins series up until them winning the Eastern Conference is now over. That is now a thing of the past. They have to look squarely at tonight and think they got to get out of there by any way, shape, form, hook or by crook with a victory. Whether that means it's an ugly win, whether that means in 10 overtimes, it doesn't matter. They have to come out with a win and then play in a game number three Thursday in South Florida. And think about this. How does the schedule look for the fan that's down in Broward or Dade County where you have Wednesday night, the NBA Finals game three, Thursday, Stanley Cup Final game three, Friday, NBA Final game number four, and then Stanley Cup Final on Saturday. Game number four. That's as good as it gets. And if you're the Panthers, one more time, you got to get this game tonight. And Matt Kachuk, let's see if he could reignite some of that magic that he's gotten throughout the whole postseason, in particular that series against Carolina. He's going to play huge tonight. And that is a game tonight that if Vegas goes up to love, I think they're going to put a stranglehold in the series. I'm not going to say they're going to sweep. I think the Panthers will be heard from. But as we've seen here throughout this postseason... The Vegas Golden Knights, when they have a lead in the series, maybe they don't put it away as you would like. Dating back to the series prior against Dallas when they were up 3-love and they had to go back to Dallas 3-2 before they put them in a vice grip and beat them 6-0 to move on to a Stanley Cup final. But that's why tonight is imperative for the Panthers. If they want to be in the series, they must win the night. And even though they could go back home and win the two games, I get it, and we could go through all the permutations of how this series could unfold but Vegas I think will come close to tasting it if they can win the night and that's why Bobrovsky is going to have to I'm not going to say stand on his head but he's going to have to really have a solid if not spectacular game to see if they could get back to Broward County with a split out in Vegas and that's it it's only the one game tonight we'll zero in and focus on that we'll talk about that on Thursday as we lead into a game three. And coaching news in the NHL, you have the Capitals hiring Spencer Carberry. Who? What? Well, he's a guy that actually grew up in the Capital organization early on in his career. And in the last couple of years, he was up in Toronto as an assistant. 41 years of age, the youngest coach in the sport. Knows his way around the Capital organization, as I mentioned, dating back to the mid-20-teens. And now let's see what the Capitals will be able to do here in the twilight. I'll say eh, maybe twilight's a little bit too strong because the guy has just been a Terminator on ice, but having to deal with the aging superstar approaching a milestone that has only been seen by Wayne Gretzky as he gets closer to the all-time NHL goal-scoring record and them trying to recapture whatever late magic or any type of pedigree that they've had from winning a cup five years ago against the Vegas Golden Knights, how maybe they could have that one last run in them. And here you go with a young coach to see if he can navigate through the course of an 82-game season into a postseason. Because since that time 
of them winning a cup, the Capitals have not done much in the postseason. They didn't make it into the postseason this last year. I believe they've gotten out of the first round maybe once and have not gotten past the second round since winning that cup. So let's see if the young coach Carberry could do something, maybe a little infusion of some youth, even though inexperienced, but familiarity to say the least. And Carberry's a guy that I'm sure a lot of people are going to pay attention to one more time as the youngest coach in the sport and what he's going to do there as he has to roll up his sleeves with just a ton to do down in the nation's capital. And then the Rangers are still looking for a coach as rumored as early as last week with Peter LaViolette. I wouldn't go that route if I'm the Rangers. I know they inquired about Joe Quenville, but with a lot of that baggage in Chicago, as we talked about there weeks ago, I don't know if they want to go in that direction. And it does make sense as a team that is cup ready and cup made and have not come close to that. Although last year they did make it to a conference final, but couldn't even get out of the first round this year, even with a 2-0 series lead against the Devils. But the Rangers are still searching for their head coach, so we'll keep an eye on that as the days and weeks go by. And that's all I have there with the NHL as we get ready for Game 2 tonight. And now as I lace up my cleats, get in the batter's box and talk a little baseball here, and we had the big series out in L.A. over the weekend where the Yankees were able to get the back two and a great job by them after getting bombarded there on Friday night where Luis Severino gave up six runs in the first inning, two home runs to Mookie Betts. And I will say this about Severino. We understand that he's been just ravaged by injuries over the years and we get it that he's had a live arm even when he came back from some of these injuries, whether it's the shoulder, Tommy John, etc. But just watching him perform the other night and knowing that his velocity's been down... He's been averaging 97 on his fastball, where this guy in the 7th and 8th innings of games in the past, even after these injuries, was clocked at 100. And now he's throwing 95. So you have to wonder whether or not it's mechanics, maybe it's confidence, who knows, but he's had a few starts under his belt. And I don't know if Severino, which I believe is in the last year of his contract, if the Yankees are going to even think about resigning him unless it's going to be a discount. Now granted, we still have another 4 months left of the season, So it could turn on a dime to where he could perform well and maybe go into October and pitch lights out. That is asking a lot, and I cannot see that happening, although I think he'll have his moments and flashes. But Severino, a guy that I'm sure the Yankee fan was hoping that you could rely on, but I don't know in big spots if you can, based on what you saw there the other night. And I understand it's Clayton Kershaw on the other side, seven innings, nine strikeouts. He did give up a couple of home runs. Giancarlo Stanton and Josh Donaldson who came back from the IL after long stints and the Dodgers went going away there on Friday night and then over the weekend you had Jake Bowers hit a couple of home runs there on Saturday followed by Aaron Judge. Judge making the catch in right field as he goes through the fence where the bullpen was for the Yanks and how Spike Lee was ecstatic jumping up and down going crazy and for the Yankees to then get that game and then last night where they scored all four of their runs in the final three innings capped off by the two-run homer by Anthony Volpe. They got the go-ahead run there in the eighth where they probably could have made a play at the plate with Rizzo on that dribbler up the first baseline. But the Dodgers elected to go to first as evidenced by the catcher. I believe it was Will Smith behind the plate. I was back and forth with the basketball, but I did watch that play. And the Yankees were able to get the two games, four of six on the road trip where they won two out of three in Seattle. And the Yankees come home to face the White Sox. I don't know if they play over the weekend, but as a matter of fact, I think they play the Red Sox this coming weekend. But the Yankees, great job by them to be able to get four out of six, including two out of three in LA, as that behemoth matchup between the big powers of Major League Baseball went at it. And who knows? Will they revisit come October for all the marbles? That certainly remains to be seen, and that is a long way off. But that was a very good series and competitive, to say the least. Lastly, you wonder if there are any concerns about Aaron Judge with that catch the other night. He didn't play in last night's game as he suffered a toe injury during that collision with the fence. I don't know if that's going to be anything that's long-term or lingering. I'm sure with the day off today that they would probably insert him back in the lineup tomorrow. I think he'd be fine, but who knows? Toe injuries can be cranky, can be peculiar and strange, so that's something we'll keep in mind if he'll be in the lineup penciled in there tomorrow night against the White Sox. And then on the other side of town, I have to spend a couple of minutes here on the Mets. And this is a team that came off of a three-game sweep against Philly. And I understand they always beat up on the Phillies. So that may be 
just taking candy away from a baby at this point. But for the Mets that had the Toronto Blue Jays come in, and I understand they swept the Braves a few weeks ago, but since then, they've been up and down. They lost three out of four to the Rays, I believe. They lost three out of four to the Yankees on top of that, the series up in Toronto. They had series where they have not played well. And for the Blue Jays to come into City Field Friday night where Chris Bassett was facing his former team for the first time since he signed in Toronto, and we all, his last two starts were just awful as a member of a New York Met. And to think, he comes in there, seven and two-thirds, three-hit ball, where his wife is in labor up in Toronto. So they're trying to see if they could get him in and out, which he pretty much did to the Met lineup throughout the course of the night. They get shut out three-nothing. So, of course, you throw your hands up in the air. Typical former Met coming back to haunt his old team and were unable to scratch a run across the plate against Toronto. And then on Saturday, they had a one nothing lead going into the ninth, and then Vladimir Guerrero Jr. gets a double to plate two runs, and the Blue Jays steal a game off of David Robertson. You can't kill David Robertson. He's actually been more than what you could ever ask for as far as a closer, filling in the big shoes of Edwin Diaz. So yes, that was a tough loss, gut punch, and yes, I get it that it was bad timing to have a game like that for David Robertson to just spit it up, but you can't kill him. He's done a phenomenal job here so far this year. And then you have the game yesterday to where they fell into a big hole Kodai Senga, who had a seven-inning performance, one hit, nine strikeouts, no walks, reverted back to his walk-in-the-ballpark form, and they were unable to at least salvage that third game. They lose 6-4, and now they have a date after a day off today down in Atlanta. And we know how they played in that building, in particular the first weekend of October last year in the next-to-last series of the year where they got swept and they had a one-game lead. So it's going to bring back nightmares to the Met fan when they think back to that series where they had first place in the National League East throughout the entire year and it slipped right through their hands during that, what was it, October 1, 2, and 3? Or maybe it was September 30th, 1st and 2nd, who knows? But now let's see after the sweep in Philly or against Philly and then getting swept by Toronto, what are they going to do when they have to go to Atlanta and face the Braves? And as we saw early in the year, they lost two out of three to them at City Field. So at 30 and 30 and wildly inconsistent as this team has been with 102 games left, let's see if they can right the ship. And I can't kill Justin Verlander the other day. He gave up the home run to George Springer to start it off. That was the game Friday night against Bassett. And Verlander, I get it. For $43 million, he has not delivered, what is he, 2-3 and three with an ERA over 4, $43 million. Not the type of performance that you want, even though he threw 117 pitches, gave up five hits, did only pitch what? I think he had six innings pitched and gave you a good effort, but... That is not enough. And I understand it's not all on him. The offense would be able to score some runs. But Verlander, you can only hope he can turn it around. And he will be able to do so as you have Max Scherzer pitching on Wednesday. And then Verlander on Thursday. And also think about this. Mets-Yankees next Tuesday-Wednesday. And Scherzer and Verlander will go up against the Yanks. So just keep that in mind when we get to that series a week from tomorrow. But the Mets, I tell you, they're an enigma themselves. It looks like one series, they get themselves back on track. And then we look at what happened over the weekend and they fall flat on their face. Especially offensively because they can't seem to score any runs. So that's what you have with the Mets. As for the rest of Major League Baseball, great job by the Texas Rangers over the weekend who swept the Seattle Mariners. And the Mariners, as I mentioned, they lost two out of three to the Yanks, although they salvaged that final game against the Bombers. But for Texas to continue to keep themselves in good stead in the AL West... Four in the loss, three and a half in front of the Houston Astros. And for them to take care of Seattle. And I talked about it. Check the receipts. If there was going to be two teams that I thought would be a disappointment this year, it was going to be Seattle and even the Mets. And they've certainly shown that here throughout the course of the first 60 games. We know the Met record is right at 500. And Seattle is a game under at 29 and 30. So let's see if they could get themselves on track and try to get them at least respectable in the AL West because they have had a down year and they need some more offense. I know they're pitching, although very good on paper, but they haven't really delivered 
And we'll see what Seattle's going to do here as we get into this month and deeper into this baseball season. You also have the Pirates who are on a five-game winning streak, and we talked about how they've really hit on hard times here over the last, I'd say, almost month. And they still continue to keep pace with the Brewers, who the Brewers have also played pretty well, but the Pirates had swept a series against the Cardinals over the weekend, and just when we thought the Cardinals were going to come back, they obviously have taken one step forward and now five steps back. And even with the Brewers, as they are still at the top at the NL Central, after sweeping the Reds over the weekend, so they still have that slim margin of leads there in the NL Central. Like I said, a half game, as the Pirates continue to at least trend upward and not going backwards and thinking that the season is going to be over by the 4th of July. Hopefully they can hang around and be a part of this, I'm not going to say playoff chase, but once we get into next month, that's when we'll really focus in on wild cards and pennant chases and things like that. And what about the Arizona Diamondbacks, who even though they lost the back two over the weekend to the Atlanta Braves, but they currently are tied at the top of the NL West, actually percentage points. No, they're actually tied 35 and 25, similar record with the Dodgers as they will be battling it out for quite some time, you would think. And good for the Diamondbacks, as a lot of people thought they were going to be a surprise team this year. And they've shown that they belong here over the first 60 games. Let's see if that can continue as we go deeper into the season. And the Padres, they're still floundering. Now five games on the 500, 27 and 32. And you wonder if the Padres, as I mentioned last week, their Memorial Day at the third point of this season, I wasn't ready to throw dirt on them. But as we get into the month of July, and let's see where they stand then, who knows? We may have to start doing so as they are digging their own grave here, and it's only June the 5th. So Padres... Big time disappointment. I didn't think they were going to be up there as far as the disappointments as I mentioned, but here they are with their record at 27 and 32. Some other news, Steven Strasburg. Now, it's just sad to watch his career and how it's really just unfolded ever since he won that World Series MVP in 2019, winning those two games, having a big time performance there in that postseason and in particular bringing the Nationals that World Series championship. And knowing that he has nerve damage in that right arm, I believe it's actually in the shoulder where his career is in jeopardy. And that's the recent report that's come out of Washington. We know that Strasburg, he last pitched a year ago, even before that when they were coming out of the pandemic, made a couple of starts, had to shut him down. 2021 was the same deal. And he's just not been able to get on a pitcher's mound with any type of consistency, and it's just a shame. Here was a guy that was coming out of San Diego State, the fireballer, the guy that threw 100 miles an hour, imposing at 6'6 on the mound, and for him, even though he reached the ultimate, he got to the mountaintop by winning a World Series and becoming an MVP, but he has not been anything close to a number one overall pick that we would think would be that would be on a fast track to a Hall of Fame or have a Hall of Fame type of career. And other than that one shining moment, he's been a good pitcher and at times have been great. But now we have to think that the days of Steven Strasburg pitching on a major league mound have come to a close. And it's sad. Sometimes it's off the field stuff that could ruin a career and sometimes it's the injuries and being healthy that could do the same. And that's, what ha- and that's what's happened here with Strasburg over the course of the last few years. And it's just a shame and very sad to witness from afar. And you just wonder if he'll ever grace and toe the rubber at any point as long as he doesn't call it a career. And who knows, that actually may come sooner than later. And then the Red Sox fan has to wonder about Chris Sale as he has some left shoulder inflammation. And we know that he's had a ton of injuries over the years, whether it's broken fingers, obviously Tommy John, just a bunch of maladies that have happened throughout the course of the last three, four years with Sale, and who knows what's going to happen with his shoulder. We shall see. We know the Red Sox pitching is thin to begin with, and even though they've kept themselves pretty good, and currently they are, what I believe they're still in last place, but they're not far from the Yankees in Toronto in the AL East, and even though, what are they, a game over 500? Let me take a look at that. 30 and 29. 
And yes, they're two behind the Blue Jays in the division, four behind the Red Sox and, excuse me, behind the Yankees. And the Red Sox will face the Yankees over the weekend. So that'll be a big matchup. The first time that the two division foes will face. But for sale, who knows? Your guess is as good as mine. If he's going to come back close to 100% or be anything close to the dominant ace that he has been in the past. And I know that sounds like a long past when we think about all the injuries that have taken place here over the last few years. But Sale's a guy that we're going to have to wait and see on whether or not he's going to be on a pitching mound at any point here in the near future. And that's pretty much what I have with the baseball. Everything else is pretty much status quo, but a lot there with the locals here in New York that I had to throw in, as well as throughout Major League Baseball with Seattle not playing well and Texas doing a very good job, as well as the Pirates hanging in there with Milwaukee. But that's what we have with the baseball. And then lastly, with the French Open, you haven't had a lot of drama there out at Roland Garros over the course of the first week. But we do have an epic clash that's on the horizon. And I'll get to that in a minute. Because who knows, maybe someone will upset the apple cart along the way. But one thing for sure, you're not going to see Taylor Fritz or even Francis Tiafo, as you have no U.S. men that are left in the tournament as they were both ousted over the weekend. So with those guys out, you're not going to see them go deep into this tournament. We're going to have to wait till Wimbledon to see them perform on a big stage like a Grand Slam. And then you had Andre Rublev, another top men's player. He was also defeated this week. And when we look ahead, and I know it may be dangerous, but it seems as if the stars are starting to align themselves for that semifinal matchup. And we'll talk more about it on Thursday, and who knows? I bring this up now and watch me be the ultimate jinx to where you'll have Novak Djokovic, who has been getting an earful from the crowd out there at Roland Garros, and... He doesn't understand the booing. He gets that he's a lightning rod when it comes to controversy and him being a guy that's hard to like or hard to embrace. But he doesn't understand why he gets booed time after time. And as long as he's alive in this tournament and keeps on marching on, I'm sure the boos are going to get louder. But boy, that semifinal match, which would be on Friday, between he and Carlos Alcaraz is going to be one to watch. That's all there is to it. All eyes will be on that. Match, if it does happen to play out that way, we'll talk more about it Thursday. If those two players are still alive, in which we would think they'll be alive come Thursday when we are back on the airwaves here for the podcast. But besides that, you have nothing. Even on the women's side. Jessica Pagula was out in straight sets against Elise Martins. Elena Rabakina or Ribakina, depending on how you pronounce it, but I believe it's Rabakina. She had to withdraw due to an illness, saying that she couldn't even breathe. She was stuffy and running a fever. So you had another women's player had to bow out of the tournament. You also had that double bagel the other day from Iga Swiatek, I believe it was yesterday, where a lot of people were trending the double bagel as she won in straight sets there, six love, six love. And Swiatek looks like she's going to be the favorite to win it all. Now Coco Goff, she's still alive as of right this moment. So can Goff make a run there to a final? And let's see if she could maybe pull off an upset there against Swiatek, who I think is the best women's player on the tour right now. And I would think that she's going to be the one that's going to come out on top considering what's happened. Even Madison Keys lost the other day. So again, this is one tournament that has not had a lot of gas in the tank and you had a lot of the stuff off the court as I talked about there on Thursday whether it was the non-handshake by Marta Kiastuk against Arena Sabalenka and I believe Sabalenka won in straight sets yesterday let me double check that I don't want to go on record but I believe Sabalenka is still alive in this tournament in fact she did beat Sloane Stevens you know let me double check that I believe that's why I thought I saw that and yeah, she did beat Sloane Stevens as she reaches the quarterfinals. So Sabalenka, I would think, would be a live dog here to see if she could come out and maybe, I don't know where the bracket will fall, if she's going to meet up with Swiatek in a semifinal or is the stage set maybe for them to clash in a women's final. That we will certainly continue to keep an eye on as we get closer toward the middle and end of the week. And we'll talk about that more on Thursday. But the tournament has not produced a lot of wow moments, big moments, 
And everybody is hoping and praying that come Friday, between Carlos Alcaraz and Novak Djokovic is going to be not only what the doctor ordered, but could be the story not only just for the tournament, but maybe for tennis overall. And guess what? They need it in the worst way. Without question. And I get it. For the tennis aficionado, for the person that just loves the Grand Slams, obviously they're going to be into it. For the average or casual fan, they may not. Unless you follow the sport, and not to say that I'm following every tournament. Of course, I'm all on top of the Grand Slams, as you know. But that is going to be one where I believe it's going to start 2 p.m. local time. So that match may start at 9 a.m. here in New York. But that's one I'm going to have to keep an eye on. And I will make sure to either be watching it on TV or on my phone or whatever because that is the old guard versus the new blood of the sport. And boy, that is going to be one that, if you're a sports fan, you want to see that. And that's one that I hope will happen come Friday. But other than that, people, that's what I got. Another podcast just about in the books. As always, thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you so much for being a part of this. And yes, even though I don't know who's tuning in day in, day out, week in, week out, months, years, etc., But it goes without saying how much I truly appreciate you stopping by, carving out time out of your busy schedule to listen to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, review, throw me a few stars, write a review. I greatly appreciate it. Again, your participation is never, ever taken for granted. If you want to follow me on my socials with daily video shorts and the like, you can do so by going to my YouTube page, at JReels, on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, The JReels Podcast, Twitter, JReels1, just the number. And the old-fashioned way, if you want to hit me up with any questions, comments, or suggestions, you could do so by going to the JReels Podcast at gmail.com. Hit me up. Question, comment, suggestion. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals. And then lastly, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to my Patreon page, P is in Paul, A-T is in Tom, R-E-O-N is in Nancy, dot com, slash the JReels Podcast. Whatever you want to put forth, we'll go 100% to this endeavor, to the production the upkeep of the website, the equipment, anything and everything that has to do with this experience into this microphone, through your earbuds, headphones, or speakers to make it that much more enjoyable, pleasurable, entertaining, informative, because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA, as I like to say. I'm not going anywhere as long as I'm breathing and I'm on God's green earth because sports is something that I eat, sleep, breathe, drink, you name it. With nothing but fire, passion, energy, fury to discuss my thoughts, feelings, opinions, analysis, critique, praise on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>